Welcome to the Diabetes and Endocrinology Podcast, where endocrinologist Dr. Julian Wong, who is based in Whittington Health Hospital, London, discusses cases and topics on diabetes and endocrinology. This is part two, hypokalemia and diagnosis. With HHS, um, they, the main problem is because of hyperglycemia, they get profound osmotic diuresis, so the glucose sucks water behind it, and therefore they get dehydrated. Now that occurs to some extent with DKA, uh, but to a less marked extent. So if you look at the deficits, all right, um, with DKA, the typical 60 kilogram patient, it will be six liter deficient in terms of their hydration status, whereas it could be up to double that for HHS. Additionally, because they have uh, uh, electrolyte loss in the urine from their osmotic diuresis, both DKA and HHS will be potassium deplete, whole body potassium deplete. So they will be um, 180 to 300 millimoles deplete with DKA versus 240 to 360 with uh, HHS. So you don't need to know the exact numbers, you just need to know that their total body potassium is, is deplete. And that may be different from their measured serum potassium. Do you understand the difference when I'm saying total body potassium deplete versus serum potassium levels? Serum just refers to what's in the plasma, whereas total is literally every compartment in your body. That precisely. I mean, that's precisely right. So, so everybody with HHS and DKA will be total body potassium deplete. Okay. However, when you measure the serum potassium, it may be low or normal or high. Why might it not be low in the serum when it is low in the total body compartment. Is that because the kidney uh, would help to regulate what's in the serum more closely? So if you had acute renal failure or AKI, then that may be a cause of raised potassium as well, correct? So that could be a contributing cause. What about with ketoacidosis? Can you remember there's a uh, potassium hydrogen ion exchange and okay, so and because, because they're acidotic correct yeah so anyone who's acidotic what happens is the potassium comes out of the cell and the uh, uh, hydrogen ions go in to protect the body from excessively low um, uh, uh, um, excessive acidosis so that's an exchange mechanism so anybody with severe metabolic acidosis will have potentially a high potassium. Yeah. So that's why, because of the acidosis, that is why their serum potassium may not be low. And it may in fact be high because they're acidotic. So because they have a metabolic acidosis, their serum potassium may be high, but their body potassium is low. So therefore, when you reverse their metabolic acidosis, what might you expect to happen to their serum potassium? Because they start to fall as the, the potassium returns back into the cells. Precisely. So it will fall 
because it's returning into the cells and it will fall because they're already potassium deplete. Yeah. So in fact, one of the biggest electrolyte complications of DKA is not um, uh, cardiac arrhythmia from hyperkalemia. It's cardiac arrhythmia from hypokalemia once you start treatment. Yeah. So therefore, um, what logically, what might you do with regards to electrolyte replacement? Get extra potassium as well. Correct. On so. Top of so you get so so therefore you give a lot of potassium to people who present with DKA because you expect it to fall as you reverse the metabolic acidosis and you reverse the ketonemia. You give them 40 millimoles of potassium per bag of replacement fluid if their potassium uh, is less than 5.5 millimoles per liter. If it is above 5.5, well, it's high enough for them to fall a little bit and without you causing problems. So you wait until it's below that threshold before you give them potassium replacement. Okay, this is something you do need to know for your exams and you do need to know uh, to, uh, to work as a junior doctor. So potassium replacement is key for DKA treatment. Okay, it is also important for HHS management as well. Uh, because uh, you will expect that to fall over time, but it's usually less acute than with uh, DKA. Now, with HHS, um, if they have a, a, a metabolic acidosis that's not ketone-related, most commonly it's because they're in acute kidney failure, okay, acute kidney injury. So for that reason, you may want to re-establish that the kidneys are working and they're passing urine um, before giving them lots of potassium. Okay. Now, so potassium replacement is key. With DKA, the problem is insulin deficiency. So one of the key treatments is insulin. How much insulin do you need to give them? Uh, it depends on their body weight. So you give them 0 0.1 units per kilogram per hour as a fixed rate infusion. Okay, have you heard of fixed rate infusion versus variable rate infusion? So a fixed rate means you the rate at which you administer insulin does not change irrespective of glucose level. Okay, it's fixed. So uh, the fixed rate you is 0.1 units per kilogram per hour and that is the treatment for diabetic ketoacidosis. The duration of the fixed rate is until you've got rid of ketones. Once you've got rid of ketones, at that point it is no longer about ketone suppression, it's about restoring euglycemia. At that point you want to change the rate so that you give as much insulin as is needed to control the glucose. So that's why you go to a variable rate. It's sometimes called a sliding scale. Have you heard of that term? Yeah, that's what we mean by variable rate. So for example, glucose between four and seven give one unit. Glucose between 7.1 and 10 give two units. Glucose between 10.1 and 14 give three units and so on and so forth. With HHS, I've told you that they usually are not completely insulin deficient. So therefore, insulin is not part of the first line treatment 
of HHS. The reason they um, become very unwell and have complications is because of the hyperosmolality. What do you understand by hyperosmolality? Stuff dissolved in the fluid in the plasma. Yeah, correct. They've got they've got concentrated blood. They've got osmotically active substances in the blood um, that uh, is causing uh, the tonicity to be high. Okay, so that's what I mean by hyperosmolar. So um, so the definition uh, of uh, HHS is you must have hyperosmolality, and the cutoff is. 320 milliosmoles per kilo. That is the definition of hyperosmolality. Um, and so you do need to know that. Um, you should have an absence of ketoacidosis, so no significant ketones. And generally, they're not acidotic unless there's other reasons for them to be acidotic. So, for example, renal failure. Um, so that's how you diagnose HHS. With DKA, you must have ketones, you must have hyperglycemia, um, and um, and you must not be hyperosmolar. So that's how the two diagnoses are slightly different. About hypokalemia. 1. In both DKA and HHS, there is total body potassium deplete. 2. The biggest complication is cardiac arrhythmia due to hypokalemia after treatment. 3. Hence, it is important to replace potassium as part of treatment. 4. For diagnosis of DKA, there must be ketoacidosis, hyperglycemia, and they must not be hyperosmolar. 5. For diagnosis of HHS, there must be hyperosmolality, of more than 320 milliosmol per kilo and no ketoacidosis. The management of both conditions will be summarized in the next episode. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you learned something today, please consider to subscribe and share it with your friends. See you next time. Until then, stay curious.